the Classic City Sports Podcast. And McAllister down the left field line! Connor Tate is going to round third, he will score! And rounding third is Blaylock, he will score! And the dogs walk it off! If you're looking for the latest Georgia Bulldog news in football, basketball, baseball, and recruiting, then you are in the right place. Then you are in the right place. It's third down. Bryce Young's career. You need 10. Play clock at four. From the pocket. Launching downfield. Underthrown and intercepted. Keely Ringo has an escort down the sidelines. All the way to the end zone. And Georgia is going to conquer the Crimson Tide. Hosted by Jeremiah Stoddard and Jonathan Williams. Georgia on the mountaintop. Demons be gone and the drought is over. National champions at long last. Just sit back, relax, and prepare yourself for these hot takes you're about to listen to. All right, welcome back to another episode of Classic City Sports Podcast with uh, Jeremiah Stoddard and Jonathan Williams. Uh, as always, we're excited to be here. We apologize for not having one out on Sunday like we had talked about, but it was Labor Day weekend. A lot of stuff was going on after that first game, but we decided we would pre-record this one and upload it you know, for you guys later this afternoon, uh, Wednesday, uh, just to kind of make sure we got some content this week. Because Georgia is back in action. They did play on Saturday, and now they have another game coming up this weekend against Ball State. So we're not really going to talk about Ball State. I don't think anyone really wants to preview that game. You know, there's not really much to talk about ahead of it. But we will talk about last Saturday uh, and what Georgia looked like there. So, Jonathan, we'll go ahead and kick it over to you. What was your first reaction from Saturday? I mean, it's it's week one college football. That's kind of, you know, my biggest takeaway from it. Georgia kind of started out slow a little bit on offense. and But, I mean, once it got into the second half, things really seemed to be in check, and Carson Beck seemed to really settle in, especially after that little rushing touchdown he had. I think that was the point in the game where Carson was able to, like, maybe not actually, but it seemed like he just finally was able to take a deep breath, and he was like, okay, like, we're good. I'm good now. Like, I kind of got that out of the way. The nerves are gone. But, I mean – it's, it's week one. Georgia is not – I mean, it's not out of the ordinary for Georgia to start slow in week one. I mean, 2020, they only scored five points against Arkansas in the first half. The very next year, they only scored 10 total points against Clemson in the opening week, and they didn't even score an offensive touchdown. The only touchdown in the game was Christopher Smith's pick six. So, I mean, it is not out of the ordinary for Georgia and specifically the offense to come out a little bit slow, a little bit choppy. I know people want to point fingers at Carson Beck, Mike Bobo, whatever you want to do. But, I mean, just know that – in three weeks, when South Carolina rolls into town, that is not going to be the type of team that you see in Athens and Sanford Stadium. No, 100% agree there because, I mean, I think it was still last year. It was either last year or 21. Um, they run together when you start talking about these smaller teams. But, you know, think about the Georgia versus Samford game. Um, Georgia only scored 33 points in that game as well. Proceeds to go down the road, win everything, and, and win the national title. So I don't think early season, you know, we'll call them woes. Um, just because, you know, it wasn't necessarily clicking the way you wanted to right away. But like you said, it is first game jitters kind of thing. Like everybody's got rust to shake off play calling side of it. Uh, quarterback that hasn't started a game by the way in four years. So there's that, right? Like everyone we've seen him come in. We've seen Carson Beck come into the games late in the game, uh, 
throughout the season, even in the national championship game last year, and he looked good in those games. There is something very different from being put in in the fourth, third, fourth quarter versus being the guy to go out there and throw the ball 30 times. There, there's a massive difference. So it's a different flow. It's it's him trying to run the offense and try to get comfortable with them. And then you got Mike Bobo, a new offensive coordinator with Georgia this year. So there's a lot to figure out. So yeah, early on, it did go a little bit slow. I, I kind of laughed at some of the fans that were you know not necessarily loving the play call stuff overall because what I look at it is we're also playing UT Martin in week one and we have South Carolina in two weeks. Do we want to open up our entire playbook in a game that we don't need to? You're not going to do that, first of all. Secondly, Georgia was a pass-first offense this past weekend against UT Martin. They threw the ball. I'd say it was probably close to a 60-40 split. They definitely threw the ball uh, a few times more. And kind of it, it was starting to roll. They liked those screen plays. They were working pretty well. Makai Muse busted one for a huge play. Honestly, as far as play calling goes, you know, throughout the entire game, that was two times that I looked at it and I was like, well, it was a little bit of an interesting thing. You know, one was a, a third and seven draw play. Uh, with Bobo calling that and everybody instantly goes up. Oh, there's the old Bobo we were used to seeing right there. And then obviously the one down on the goal line right before halftime just got a huge first down. They're marching down. They call a run play and uh, it, with no timeouts left. So that kind of left a, a bitter taste in a lot of people's mouths, a lot of questions. But our boy Brooks Austin actually asked Kirby about that in a, a presser. And his answer was, yeah, I think, you know, when we made that call, obviously everything's still transitioning down the field. So they're not even set yet or anything when they're making that call. They're making the call as they're running down the field to get in position. And they assumed they were a little bit closer to the goal line than they were. That's what he said. It was a, you know, a a mistake. Maybe they needed to take a little bit more time to evaluate the situation is basically what Kirby Smart himself said on there. Uh, So I wouldn't even say that's a Mike Bobo issue. That's a, a team, once again, in week one, trying to get comfortable back in the flow of things. Everyone assumes the players are the ones that have to kind of shake off the rust too. But, I mean, man, these coaches haven't called a real game in, in a while as well. So they've got to get back used to that flow of it as well. They try to – they do practices, they do scrimmages, all that. But it's different when you actually line up and you've got 60 minutes on the clock and, and you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, I mean, and some people even went as far as to blame Carson Beck for that um, run play down in the end zone, saying that he was the one that checked out of the play – and he was the one that called up the run, and he was asked about it after the game. He's like, man, in those situations, I, I run what is called. Like, I don't have time to sit there and make checks at the offensive line and change the play. He said, you know, whatever Bobo calls, that's what we're going to go with. And so – and then, too, like, not even just the fact that Mike Bobo was calling his first game for Georgia since nine years ago, but it's also – with new rules, you know, those new rules came into play in that situation. I know the clock stopped in that situation because it is under two minutes, but I mean, it's just, it's a different feel of the game. People are going to have to get used to and adjusted to it as well. But, you know, we were talking to um, Terrence Edwards yesterday and Terrence was going back to your point of, you know, it's UT Martin. You don't need to open up the playbook for him. He's like, man, if Georgia can't go out there and just line up and play football against UT Martin and win, then we have no business talking about a three P anyways. Like that is just not going to happen. You should be able to go out there just play your basic offense, line up, play football, and that's it. And you should be able to win by 41 points, and that's exactly what they did. I mean, you scored 41 points offensively. You had almost 500 yards of total offense. Carson Beck threw for almost 300 yards in his first game as a starter. Like, really, what are you complaining about for the offense? Because of two plays, and I, I just don't understand. And to the people that are talking about Brock Vandegrift and saying, well, we need to be giving Brock Vandegrift a chance, this is what I find funny about that. As you go back to 2021, like to the UAB game, Carson Beck makes yeah. one throw, and everybody's like, oh, he sucks. Like, no, but we don't want to see Carson Beck anymore. We're done with him. It's Brock Vandergriff's chance. Well, then 
So one throw, that's all it took. That's all it took that time, that day, for people to go ahead and sell out on Carson Beck. Well, then you go on to Saturday, Brock Vandegrift goes two for three for 77 yards and a touchdown, and we're saying that he's the guy that needs to be the starting quarterback off of three throws. I know he had some others that were negated by penalties, but you're taking a very small sample size and building your whole foundation about that. That's for Mike Bobo. You're basing that off of a couple plays. You're basing a couple plays for Carson Beck as to why he shouldn't be the starter, and you're basing it off of a couple plays as to why Brock Vandegrift probably needs to be the starter. It, it just makes no sense. And I'm not saying Bark Vandegrift did not play well on Saturday. That's not he, yeah. he played great. I thought he looked fantastic when he was under center and he was calling the shots. I thought the offense looked very well underneath Brock Vandegrift. But all I'm saying is when you look at it holistically, like – so Dominic Lovett has a couple drops and you miss Arian Smith on a deep shot. Yeah. If those plays hit, I guarantee you nobody is complaining about the offense under Carson Beck. I mean, you're three plays away from Carson Beck almost probably having a perfect day, essentially, outside of maybe one behind the throw. That's it. So I just think, you know, week one overreactions, I think that's what it was. And I think in four weeks, nobody's going to be saying anything about what this offense are complaining, or at least they shouldn't be. I don't think you should be complaining after week one. Yeah, and you brought up a really good point. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the UAB game because I was actually having a conversation with somebody uh, before the game that Saturday about that, like about Carson Beck and everything, and, and they were still having doubts about him. It's like, yeah, he just throws a lot of picks. And I was like, man, I was like, he threw like one pick last year. And he was like, he goes, no, he threw two. And I was like, all right, he threw two picks. But I was like, the reason everybody thinks he throws a lot of picks is because of one interception he threw in week two or whatever it was against week UAB. Week two against UAB and it's the only reason everybody cares about that is because it was a pick six that's the only reason that they're focused on the fact and then it's like this narrative of him throwing a lot of interceptions has somehow just like spun out I even saw people on Twitter said so somebody called him a pick six machine and I was like all right well he threw one so if that's a pick six machine there's a bunch of them out there because how many quarterbacks have done that in their career it, it, it's it was kind of funny to listen to, and that's exactly the type of narrative that some people carried into this game, especially knowing that you have Brock Vandegrift and Gunnar Stockton on your bench, and because they want to... Georgia fans, I don't care who it is, every single season since Kirby Smart has been there, it's always, what can this other quarterback do? Why Why won't we give this other quarter? Because, once again, like I said a minute ago, seeing Brock Vandegrift come into this game late in the game, when, one, by the way... Part of what separates a team like Georgia and UT Martin is late in that game, UT Martin's gassed. Guess what? Georgia's got more five stars to put in and still be playing in the third, fourth quarter of that game. So it's it's a personnel mismatch for the other team at that point, just, just based on the ability to keep putting out fresh players that are very talented and the other team is is tired. So I'm not taking anything away from what Brock was able to do. But what I am saying is... We're now looking at a small sample size of what he did, and that does not tell you that what he can do if he has to come out there and throw the ball 30 times. Now, like you said, he did look good. He made a couple of really nice runs, a couple of good throws in that first drive he had, and then obviously the penalties took both of those plays back, the the big pass play for like 15 yards, the run that he had for like 20 yards or something like that. Both of those got called back because of holding. Well, he looked really good overall. I give it to him. We don't know what he would look like in 30 pass attempts and running the offense and doing all that. So to to completely negate what the 294 yards that Carson Beck, you know, threw out there just because the other quarterback came in and had a couple good pass plays in what two drives I think he got. Mhm. Yeah, so he got two drives, a couple of good plays. It's not the same as trying to play an entire game. And so that that's something that people've got to consider. 
Well, yeah, it's very different from you're going into the game and your team's already up by 30 or so points or whatever, whereas Carson Beck or the starter is going out there. It's 0-0. It is your job to set the tone and get this thing rolling. Like Those are two different expectations. You can kind of go out there in the middle of the third quarter and be a little bit more relaxed. Like Now, there still comes with nerves, obviously, because you're in front of 90,000 fans on live TV or whatever, and this might be the only drive that you get in this game and you got to show for it, but it's very different when it's like you are the guy in the offense. You are the guy that is supposed to lead this offense from week one all the way to week 15. Like that is your goal. That is what you're supposed to do. So I think like, I mean, like we've been saying, the offense is going to be fine. The consistency is going to get there. You were also without Ladd McConkey this week. That's a big person to be missing in the wide receiver corp. And you're also making missing Marcus or Simi Jackson. Those are two starters in that wide out room that you were missing on Saturday. And honestly, I mean, without, and the, it was it, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought right there. <laughs> Good lord, stuttering like a mofo right now. Lord have mercy. We're gonna cut, restart. It was honestly a good thing that you did have Brock Bowers on Saturday because he was really the only guy that is going to be in that starting lineup for the wide receivers, him and Dominic Lovett. And you know, like I said, obviously, like even do- people people were bashing Carson Beck because of his struggles. Obviously, Dominic Lovett was having his himself some struggles yeah. as well because he's been on campus for what seven months now at this point so yeah something like that it's week one that's that's the whole moral of the story it's week one take it off and it's week one in a game where you won by 41 points and if you're complaining about that i don't know that you're ever going to be happy i don't know that you're ever going to be satisfied now it may be because it wasn't a 41 point win against an sec opponent but still i mean you got to win every game the objective is to win every game and georgia fans like to win those games dominantly that's what saturday was man the defense showed out the offense finally got it rolling and I think you can take a lot more positives away from that game than you can negatives. The only really complaint that I think I would have and I think a lot of other people would have is that the offensive line just kind of came out flat. Oh, my gosh. You know, yeah. we hyped up that offensive line all offseason, saying that this is going to be the best group in the country, yeah. Joe Moore award-worthy type unit. And they, I feel like they just kind of came out and was like, oh, it's UT Martin, man. Like, we don't have to worry about nothing. We can just kind of go out there, go through our reps, get this thing over with. And they were kind of getting punched and punched in the mouth, you know, in quotations a little bit. And I don't think they were ready for that. But when they were finally able to get going and get that momentum going in their way, I think the offensive line unit looked better as the game went on. They pass protected phenomenally, but it was specifically in the run game where, like, we were just getting no push up front. Guys yeah. were getting into the backfield. So that was really the only negative or complaint I would say that I had from Saturday. Yeah. And we're talking about, you know, a game you win by 41 points, a game you score 48 total points and uh, put up, I want to say 536 yards of total offense, somewhere in that number, 400 yards of passing. Uh, it's, it's a game that there, if we're going to nitpick something, that was my exact concern too, is that offensive line, because there were so many like times, I can't even count how many times we saw a running back get hit or have somebody in their face two yards behind the line of scrimmage. That was something that was extremely concerning because you are playing against UT Martin. You should be able to run block just like you can. You I mean, Like you said, pass blocking was phenomenal. No, no real problems there at all. But that run blocking, when you have guys getting hit two yards behind the line of scrimmage, the funny thing is that happens, right? And then you have the fans doing two things. The fans are going, all, all they want to do is keep running up the middle. It's not working. We got. We need to run outside. Well, we can run up the middle if our offensive line does what they're supposed to be able to do. And like you said, being a Joe Moore award like watch list team, right? They should be able to run up the middle like that and not have pressure coming into the backfield two yards like that. Um, it was one of those things that like, it was just frustrating to hear people get so upset and looking at the wrong thing, blaming the offensive play call, blaming 
all of that and not paying attention and even blaming, you know, I heard people talking about Kendall Milton again, you know, not being so great because he was not getting, but every time he would run the ball, I swear they were hitting him in the backfield. And finally he, he busted a couple of them off and, and had a decent day. Um, but I'm not going to focus on the negative side too much. I want to flip over and just point out a couple of positive things that I pulled away from that offense overall or players that I saw that really stood out to me. And then we'll switch over to defense here. And uh, like I said earlier, this will be kind of a a quicker episode. We're doing this kind of in the middle of the day, going to post it later tonight. So uh, trying to squeeze something in. So we'll probably do about 30 minutes or so. But biggest takeaway I had that I love to see was Roderick Robinson looked very comfortable running the ball. Now, in a running back room that is completely busted up right now, so many injuries, so many things like that. We saw five different running backs, I believe, um, and Roderick Robinson was busting out, making plays left and right, and making people miss in the backfield when they would come through. So that was my biggest takeaway, my my biggest bright point of the offense and, and the game in general was, I would say, him. Yeah, Roderick Robinson's going to have to be someone that steps up in that offense. They're going to have to rely on him a good bit until you, at least until you get Dejon Edwards back, you got to get him. Yeah. And then maybe when Kendall Milton gets 100% healthy, I don't even know if we'll get that. I don't know if we're going to get 100% fully healthy Kendall Milton now that the season is going and he's going to be getting in game reps. And that might always kind of hinder how much recovery he's able to get in between games. But, um, yeah, that was definitely a bright spot in the running back room. You got to see a little bit of Cash Jones as well, his pass catching ability out of the backfield. Love to I see thought him. that was a bright spot as well. Obviously, Makai Muse, that was probably the biggest standout. It's good to see that it wasn't just a big time G Day performance. We kind of told everybody throughout the offseason, multiple people mentioned this throughout the offseason. It's like that wasn't just a one time thing, like, oh, G Day, yeah. he gets some reps and he made some big plays like that. You're going to get that from him. I thought also seeing CJ Smith getting involved in the passing game, that was another guy that made up some big plays. Ra-Ra Thomas, his 55-yard reception late in the game, I think fans want to see him more, rightfully so, because everything we hear about him is a guy that out at the X position for receivers, he is a guy that is going to win his one-on-one battles, or at least he is that type of receiver in the alpha, if you will. And then obviously Brock Bowers. I mean, that guy's probably going to walk his way to a back-to-back Mackey award-winning type season and be the first player to ever win the award twice. So, I mean, yeah, definitely those were the bright spots. Yeah, for sure. And, and uh, Makai Muse, I think that's something that a lot of people assume that he would play a, a big role in special teams this year because of what we saw in G-Day and his explosiveness and all of that. I thought it was really, really cool to see him get involved in the passing game. And, and maybe what helped him be able to do that is the fact that you didn't have a lad and you didn't have a few guys there. So uh, it gave him the opportunity. And I think at this point, it's he's made it pretty clear that he's someone that deserves to be uh, taking a, a genuine role in that offense consistently week in, week out in meaningful snaps. I think he's earned that and a uh, very physical player, very fast and, and shifty. He kind of reminds me of your like Isaiah McKenzie type player back mm. in what, 2016 or something like that. Yeah. Um, just real shifty kind of a smaller guy, just making plays and really fast and, and, and just exploding. You know, I think that that screenplay that he took, it wasn't a clean screen that he just was able to catch and just run immediately. He made people miss at the line and he made a couple of moves and then took off and and left people behind him at that point. So that was really fun to see. Uh, but overall, I think this offense is going to be just fine. I, I'm excited to see what they'll be able to do, you know, in the next couple of weeks when they finally get to play an SEC team and see what Mike Bobo draws up, see how that all plays out. I'm excited about it personally, but let's jump over to the defensive side and talk about some obviously it was a very stout defensive performance they gave up seven points and it was in the fourth quarter of the game it it is what it is in that situation but overall they were running 
running people down. I mean, making tackles at the line of scrimmage constantly, even from your safeties. Malachi Starks was constantly making plays. I was uh, extremely impressed with the speed and just the the awareness that they seemed to have while they were out there. Even though it was UT Martin, I'm not going to have a big week one overreaction and say it's the best defense Georgia's ever had or anything like that. But I think they are, you know, probably one of the most talented defenses Georgia's ever had at this point. Uh, there, there's definitely an argument for it to be made that they're probably one of the most well-rounded defenses yeah. that they've ever had. I mean, this secondary, it's it's otherworldly. Malachi Starks, my gosh, dude, put on weight this offseason. He looks bigger. He looks faster. He looks stronger. He was making plays all over the field as the inbox safety. Like, it, it's going to be a special year from him. And then, obviously, Tyke Smith, my gosh. I mean, that, Georgia's going to benefit so much from getting a fully healthy Tyke Smith. I mean, what we saw on Saturday – is what fans have been wanting to see from Tyke Smith. That's what they were expecting to get when he came from West Virginia. Yeah. So now that he's gotten all the injuries out of the way, hopefully, and he could just get a full 13, 14, 15 games in this season, I, man, I, it's going to benefit Georgia a lot. He looked really good. I think the secondary is what really puts this defense all together. I thought the defensive line for the most part looked well because, you know, People are going to cr- always be ridic- um, criti- critical of Georgia's defensive line because they don't put up the numbers that a lot of other people do. Like They're not going to be out here putting up Will Anderson, Aiden Hutchinson type right. numbers where some dudes got 15 sacks and 20 tackles for loss because they are just they rush as a unit. And I think the stat was that on Saturday, teams uh, UT Martin was getting the ball out within 2.3 seconds of the snap. So like you're not getting home in those scenarios. If that's the yeah. average um, snap to pass time, like you're just not going to get home. So and they were still they were, hitting him too. They were still yeah, hitting ab- him. Absolutely, just right after he threw the ball. Defensive line was still um, making plays. Specifically, Michael Williams. That's another guy like oh, yeah. Malachi Starks. Like, dude, the fact that you get 13 and 24 for a whole another year after this year, like that's special, special. man. That's like the type of thing how we. It's like, man, I can't. Last year it was like, man, I can't believe we get another year of Brock Bowers. Like. The fact that he gets one more year, it's just not unfair. Same thing for 13 and 24. And then obviously Javon Bullard. I mean, gosh, the, yeah. those three names alone in the secondary, Kamari Lasseter. I thought it was interesting, um, and you and I kind of talked about this after the game. It seemed like Julian Humphrey was going to get the start at the other cornerback spot, and then it ended up being Dalen Everett. And I think that's yep. just kind of the thing of Georgia's always going to give it to the older guy at first. They're going to give – the. Like he is going to have to lose that job and someone else is going to have to earn that spot. And I just, because leading up to the game, it was like, Oh, Humphrey's going to be getting the start without a doubt. But then reality, Dale never goes out there. So I think that's really the only missing piece as far as secondary goes. And then defensive line, you get a whole lot of different looks like Jordan Hall. Yeah. He was in there for a, a, quite a bit. Kristen Miller was in there making plays. Yep. They were switching the personnel unit up on the defensive line quite a bit, which is to be expected in week one. But I mean, once you get, I, th- I think Georgia's one healthy smile Monday away from just being really, really freaking good. Yeah, and and to focus, you talked about everything else too. Well, real quick, I want to talk about that cornerback position. Like you said, Everett seemed to get the start there. Humphrey, uh, he came in and played in the game as well. Look, he looked pretty good when he got in there. Uh, we saw AJ Harris get in there at one point. We mm-hmm. did see Nyland Green, and now Nyland Green's somebody that I've. I've been watching for years at this point and and hoping he would get his chance, but it, it looks like you know he's kind of falling back on that list behind, like you just said, Everett and and Humphrey there, and then obviously with AJ Harris coming in being uh, a stud immediately kind of thing um, in all the scrimmages and practices they've done, so uh, it it doesn't look like he's going to get that big of a run uh, this year as well. But I still think he's a very good football player. That that room is very very deep, 
I think people don't realize how deep that room is. You were talking about all the other defensive backs, but that room right there is so crowded. There's mm-hmm. there's so many guys that could play, but only two of them can be on the field at the same time kind of thing. So uh, we'll see how it all plays out. When you look at that linebacker room, like you just said, smile, you know, just getting a little healthier and being ready to go there. But we got to see C.J. Allen out there. We got to see mm-hmm. a few other guys that were making plays in meaningful game time. And uh, one thing that really stood out to me that, you know, I've always looked at this every year is like, who's going to be the captain of that defense, especially at linebacker position, because that's, you know, we've we've seen it with so many different guys over the years. You always got that one guy that seems to be running it and being the captain there. And it looked like it was Jamon Dumas Johnson to me. I saw him out there making calls and changing the defense around and making sure people knew where they were supposed to be. So that was something I thought was worth noting as well, as it looks like he's taking over the the play calling and, and captain role of that part of it. So I'm excited to see what he does and how he handles that situation moving forward as well. Yeah. I mean, just, you got a lot of veteran guys on that defense. Zion Logue. That's a, I believe he's a fifth year guy. Tramel Walthour. That dude's yeah. been in college for 18 years. He's been <laughs> it. I mean, that's another um, Julian Rochester type dude. Yeah. I saw a picture of him at, at his presser the other day. I was like, by God, that dude looks like he's got a margin in his retirement plan set up already. Like goodness <laughs> gracious. That is a veteran football player right there. Jamon Dumas Johnson, he's going into his second year starting. Javon Bullard, he's well under his way as a veteran at Georgia by now. He's got enough snaps. Kamari Lasseter, like you have a good blend of that mixed in with, of course, those younger guys. And this defense is still very young. And, you know, you mentioned C.J. Allen. Like there are a lot of sophomores and freshmen that are getting playing time on this defense that you're just going to be able to go, okay, J.D.J. and Small Munden, Kamari Lasseter, et cetera. All right, they're gone. Clunk. You replace them. You don't miss a beat. That's what they've been able to do the last two years, and that is why they're going to continue to do that on the defensive side of the football. You can lose 10 players to the draft, and you're going to be all right. Like You're, you're just going to keep on hitting, and Kirby Smart, Glenn Schumann, Will Muschamp, Trey Scott, all those guys on the defensive side of the football have done a tremendous job recruiting and replenishing that roster to make sure that there is no you know, deficiencies there when you do have to replace players. They've kept that roster loaded, and I think this year, I mean – Linebacker unit is loaded down, secondary is loaded down, defensive line, still kind of figuring things out, still kind of answering some questions. Still want to see, of course, you want to see them against an SEC opponent, probably some power five football yeah, teams. Some bigger I don't even know if South Carolina is going to be a true test after they gave up nine sacks to North Carolina, Jeez, but man. we'll see. I mean, it's just gonna, it'll be interesting to see how things go moving forward for them. But man, I mean, a lot to be excited about for this defense. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think overall, it, the team as a whole is it's a well coached, well maintained, and well managed football team. And I say managed because of what you were just talking about a second ago, where they they can always plug in somebody else. It's, it comes back to the recruiting, uh, the way they manage keeping people in from the transfer portal or bring people in when they need them. Like we saw some stuff, people come in from the wide receiver room when there is a deficient deficiency on this team, they find somebody out there to be able to plug it in. It's it's a very well managed football team in a new era of college football where it's that's what's separating some teams like we we got to see you know Dabo seems to be struggling he's not keeping up with the times when you've got stuff like that and Clemson seeming to be going downhill from where we're all used to them being for the past 10 years um how how well they've played and now they seem to be on the decline and I think the biggest part is because Dabo Sweeney is not managing that football team the same way and he's not adapting to the way college football is now and and that's something that as Georgia fans that you do not have to worry about because Kirby Smart is at the front of that pack as far as being able to keep up with it and maintain the new era of college football. 
Yeah, I think something that Debo Sweeney could take note of from Kirby Smart is like, it's not like you have to go out there and sign six players from the portal every single year. You know, you you can do it based off of need. This offseason, it was Georgia was like, all right, we need some dudes at wide receiver for Carson Beck this next year. Who can we get? You go get Dominic Lovett. You go get Ra Ra Thomas. You needed yeah. a guy to play in the secondary alongside Keely Ringo in 2021. So you go and get Darion Kendrick from Clemson. Like, you don't have to go out here and sign a bunch of dudes from the portal every single year. But by God, Clemson sure as heck could have used a Keon Coleman from Michigan State this last year that yeah. FSU is now taking benefit of. Like, you could have used some playmakers on that offense. You could have used some offensive linemen from the transfer portal. So, I mean, it's not like people are saying, like, oh, you have to do what Deion Sanders did and get 70 freaking yeah, players from the transfer portal. No. But, man, if you see a need, if you see a dis- deficiency on your roster, go replace it and get someone that can immediately plug in for you and make your team better. But instead you want to take the high road and you don't want to do that and you kind of want to push everything to the side and turn a side eye to everything and say, oh, well, I am the holy one, holy hour out die, whatever. So – just something he could take note of from Kirby Smart. I don't mean to get on Dabo Sweeney rant, but you brought it up. And I did. Man, I did bring it up. There's a lot to say about Dabo Sweeney. There right is now. a lot to say about it, and we won't go into the, like the other stuff because there is some stuff around college football we could talk about. Maybe we'll talk about it next week as everything else is going on, yeah. and we'll get to see another week of football. There's some big games coming up this weekend. Obviously, Ooh, Georgia's slate. playing Ball State, uh, but next weekend, the biggest one for me is obviously I think everybody's going to be watching Texas versus Bama, and mm. we'll see how that plays out because everybody's questioning both of those football teams and seeing what they can each do and it's their first true test uh, this past weekend. We got to see LSU-FSU. That was a, a good game to kind of gauge where people are at. I think Clemson is in trouble in the ACC because Florida State looked pretty good, and then obviously they lost to Duke, so uh, they might have a new front runner there. LSU may not be as good as we thought, or maybe FSU was just extremely good. Uh, we'll, we'll find out as the rest of the season. But once again, not going to have those week one overreactions because LSU could definitely turn things around and have a very good football team and still compete. Got to remember that was an out-of-conference loss. They are still in the running for everything else because it does not matter in the SEC play if you lose out of the conference like that. Yeah, I mean, heck, they lost that game last year, and they ended up in Atlanta with Georgia. So it very well could happen again this year. Yeah, definitely excited for that Alabama-Texas game. Uh, interested to see what Texas looks like against an Alabama team and what Alabama looks like with Jalen Milrow against a team like Texas. Definitely going to be looking out for that one. Utah versus Baylor. I know Baylor got upset last week. Yeah. Bad, bad upset. Stinky, stinky Texas upset. State or something like that. Yeah, not good. No point. I think right it was there. like the first FBS win they've had. Like it was something ridiculous in a long time kind of thing. Like they, it was, it was something interesting to see that one go down. So yeah, Baylor, some- maybe not it this year. Yeah, maybe not. That's some doo-doo right there. Um, so, yeah, a lot of a lot of good college football games this weekend. Much better than what we got in week one outside of LSU versus FSU and Clemson versus Duke. But, yeah, super excited for that. Definitely excited to see the ch- – maybe. I mean, might get a lot of the same what we got last week from Georgia against Ball State. Might see, even see them run the ball a little bit more this week just to kind of see if they can get a running game going instead of um, – because you went kind of pass-heavy last weekend. Just kind of get a better feel for that running back room and then um, – and then it's full on go, man. Season is yeah. here after that. It's full on SEC schedule and you're in a fight every single week. So, Absolutely. And I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. We'll, we'll be back with you guys again this following weekend after Ball State and be able to give you everything over there. But Jonathan, I'll let you wrap it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I, we really need to start doing this at the beginning of the show probably. Yeah, but again, we need we, again self-coaching. We're, we're just taking mental notes right now. <laughs> but yeah, like and subscribe, guys, if you are watching this right now. I know it's not the typical live stream, so you guys can't just go ahead and do that 
when I say it immediately. But yeah, go ahead and do all that good stuff for us. Help support us. Continue to support us. We will get more consistent. I promise. Again, it was just Labor Day weekend. So you can expect us to be Sunday night, 8 o'clock, live streaming every single week from here on out. You have my word on that. And if we do not stay strict to that, then you can go ahead and call me out. Do whatever you want. Call me funny names. Whatever. But <laughs> we will catch you guys next week getting our immediate reactions from the Ball State game and previewing Georgia versus South Carolina in week three. But until then, guys, take care. Stoddard, you can close us out. As always, keep it classy in the Classic City, and we will catch you guys next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Classic City Sports. Take a second to subscribe, rate, review, and share with your friends and family. Feel free to reach out to the Classic City Sports Crew on Twitter with any topics you'd like discussed. You can reach out to Jeremiah at The Stodfather, to Jonathan at Dr. Underscore J. Will, and make sure to follow at Classic City Pod for show updates. Check back next week for a brand new episode. In the meantime... Two of the expression of the entire Bulldog Nation.